Will you pray with me? Father, the prayer that our choir has just sung is our prayer today. We're going to please somebody today. We could please ourselves or we could please others. But Father, what we want more than anything is to please you. So take our words and our thoughts and let them be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. I'm so grateful for that song. Thank you, choir. Thank you, orchestra. Thank you, church. That is a great prayer. My pastor, when I was in high school, prayed that prayer every time he preached. And it has stayed with me all these years. So how do we combat evil in the world? We know there's evil. It's all around us. How? Do we combat it? I'm reading an interesting biography of Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. In the subtitle are four words that describe Bonhoeffer. Three of them seem to belong. The fourth seems suspicious, or as our young people would say, sketchy. Pastor, martyr, prophet, spy. Which of these four does not belong? This is the story of Bonhoeffer who could have stayed in the safety of the United States at Union Seminary, who could have stayed in the safety of England with the church that he pastored there, but instead willingly chose to go home to Germany in the middle of the rise of Hitler's power in that country. And on my desk I have a picture of um, a plaque at a church And it says, in this church, preached and was ordained in 1932, the Widerstandkämpfer, the resistance fighter, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who on September the 4th, 1945, died at Flossenburg. Before Hitler lost the war, he made sure that his enemies died. And so he ordered the death of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer had to decide how he would fight evil. He preached the word, he prayed, and he joined in a plot to take the life of Hitler. The plot obviously failed. And his story raises the question, should pastors or Christians ever be fighters? It raises the question about how we stand against evil in our world. And on one hand, we could just be passive and say, well, God will do what God will do. And on the other hand, we could say, I'm not going to wait on God anymore. I'll take matters in my own hands. But Paul teaches us that there is a time when Christians should go on offense. And he even shows us the weapons of our warfare. So would you open your Bibles with me again to Ephesians chapter 6, the third of our Many series of sermons on spiritual warfare. And we have looked at our advocate. We have looked at our armor. We need to look at our arms today. So stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Take the helmet of salvation 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Thank you. You may be seated. We have learned that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world, that our advocate, God, is far greater than our adversary, Satan, and the forces of evil in our world. We don't have to look far in Scripture to see this story told again and again, do we? We see it in the story of Moses, for instance, when God told him to go and stand before Pharaoh, who was at that time perhaps the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and Moses took his stand. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there when Moses said, I am that I am, has told me to tell you, let my people go. It must have been a magnificent moment, not unlike the moment when Joshua, tremulous and afraid, he had been an assistant pastor his whole ministry, and now God was saying, you are going to lead my people. And when he, when he wondered what he would do, God said, be very courageous and strong because I am with you the same way I was with Moses. When, when Gideon, who was the, the youngest in the smallest clan in the least significant tribe of Israel, heard God's voice say, you are going to lead my people. And Gideon said, I'm way too small for this. God said, but I am big enough to work through a person who knows that they're too small in fact, he reduced Gideon's army to prove that our advocate is greater than our adversary. And he showed us last week, we, we saw last week, the armor that God gives to us. And what did we learn? That the armor is God's armor. It's not our armor. We don't stand in our righteousness, much less in our self-righteousness against the forces of evil in our world. But it's, well, it's God, isn't it? It's, it's His truth. It's it's His righteousness, it's His peace, it's His faithfulness, it's His salvation which arm us, which defend us, which protect us. But the good news for us is we are not just those who stand back and hold our own. Instead, God has called us to claim new ground for Him. He has said the gates of hell cannot stand against us. It's not that the gates of hell are going to invade us, it's that we are going to invade them. And how in heaven's name are we going to do that? He says, God gives us two weapons for our warfare. We go on offense with, with two truths in mind. The first is this, that God in His Holy Spirit speaks to us and through us. And second, that by the Spirit in prayer we speak to God, the weapons of our warfare are words, words that God has spoken to us and words that we speak to God. 
First, God has spoken to us, he says, by his spirit. And remember that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Look in verse 17, the word makera. He doesn't use the word for the great big long sword, but rather it's that sword that the warrior kept close. And Paul had a Roman soldier who was chained to him in this moment. The makera was, was visible there, this, this small but very strong sword that he used. We have in our... Uh, in our home, a collection of swords, some that have been bought through the years. Some have been made, to tell you the truth, in Mike Crouch's woodshop uh, by our son and one of Mike's uh, grandsons. And, and there's this fascination with, with swords. In fact, one of the boys was over in, in Israel and uh, he called his parents before he made a purchase on the MasterCard. He said, I found a good deal on this sword. Only $2,000, he said to his parents, said, His parents said, put Micah on the phone. Micah, one of our ministers of youth, got on the phone and the parents said, feel free to say no to our children when they're thinking ridiculous thoughts. (laughs) I don't know much about swords. My my father um, spent some time in Spain, in Madrid, and he came back from his TDY, from his temporary assignment, with uh, this beautiful uh, set of two swords that that hung over the mantle wherever my family lived. Ever after that, they were made, I think, by somebody named Anigo Montoya. I'm not sure, but they were, they were a magnificent swords. The thing is, I'm not sure how much good they would have done us if anybody had ever broken in. I mean, we could have run and grabbed one of the swords, but I'm not sure what we would have done with it. You may have practiced fencing, but we did not. And the truth is, we had swords, but we had no ability to use them. And I could say the same thing about the Word of God in many of our lives, that it has become ornamental. I can't tell you, I haven't counted recently, but I have shelves of books in my library, shelves of Bibles, different languages, many different languages, German and French and Portuguese and Spanish and Greek and Hebrew. I have all kinds of Bibles. I don't know how many Bibles there are in our home. All I know is when we're trying to find one, we never, we never can, but... But we have all kinds of Bibles. But the question is, do we know how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? What's interesting about the Word of God as a phrase, which we immediately equate with the Bible, is that in its original context, as he's talking to the Ephesians, they don't have their Bibles in front of them. What they have is is a letter that has come from the Apostle Paul, which is authoritative to them. They have the scrolls of the Old Testament The Word of God to them is just this magnificent truth that God actually speaks to His people when His people are willing to listen. And somehow I think we've become dull to that thought. I know that because I saw this video recently of people who received the Word of God in their own language for the very first time. Did you see that when the Kimyal people in Papua in Indonesia first received the Bible, the New Testament in their own language. I think we have that video this morning. I just want to show you just a clip of that, just to show you the enthusiasm of a people who receive the Word of God for the very first time in their own language. Check this out. It's an amazing, amazing picture.
Isn't that amazing? To receive the scriptures for the very first time, that pastor's voice as he prays resonates in the chambers of my heart. Those people dancing and weeping, visible tears. There's a longer video you can see it. And what you see is people who realize God is speaking to us. God has a word for us. And I wonder if when you and I wake up drowsily on a Sunday morning, if we have any of that kind of anticipation that today as we worship together, God might have something to say to us And that we would not want to miss what God has to say by His Spirit. Because we are in a spiritual battle. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. So only the Spirit can give us a word. And He gives us a word in God's Word. And God speaks to us. And God speaks through us. You hear it in that in that reference to the yellow prayer card. How many of those have you gotten? Max Grigsby sending Psalm 23 to little Morgan, and Morgan receiving that word and memorizing that word. God spoke to Max and then through Max to her. There's a little book that I, I saw this week by Matt Woodley called The Folly of Prayer. And in that book, he tells the story of when a member of their church who had recently gotten married, a young woman fell into a very deep depression. And in that despair, she, she gave up on life itself. She wrote her own obituary. She was prepared to die and he went to visit with her and before he prayed with her he read Psalm 77 it's a lament in the Psalms the Psalms capture the emotions that we feel the power of our hearts and our our expressions of praise and our expressions of sorrow and our expressions of confession and and he read Psalm 77 to her I just looked at that again this morning where it says and God you led us through the Red Sea though your footprints were not Scene. He read this to this young woman, then he prayed with her. He left. A week later, another minister, they had a number of ministers like we do, another minister went to pray with her, and when he offered to pray with her, she said, but before you pray, would you read Psalm 77 to me again? It's the only thing that's kept me alive this week. God speaks to us and through us to other people. And if we will receive it, His Word is a sharp sword. We've been studying heaven in our Thursday morning Bible studies that we concluded this last Thursday. And we saw this picture of Jesus in Revelation 1.16. It says He had this sharp two-edged makera, this sword in His mouth. And what the Scriptures say What Paul says is it's all about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 18. He's the only one who can reveal God to us. It's the Spirit who reveals God to us. So so we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the parallel passage in Colossians, Paul says, be filled with the Word of God. Let the Word of God fill you. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word of God. And to be filled with the Word of God is to know that God speaks to us. And God speaks through us. Bonhoeffer wrote a, a series of sermons on the Psalms. He formed, uh, he formed these seminaries for the confessional church, which had the audacity to stand against the state church in that time when the national church in Germany was rubber stamping Hitler and the Nazis. He led a new church, the confessing church, which was focused on the word of God and prayer. These are the weapons of our warfare, not just that God speaks to us, but that we have the privilege 
in prayer of speaking to God. And he says this too is the work of the Spirit. So he says, pray in the Spirit. He says the same thing in Jude, verse 20. Pray in the Spirit. What does that look like? Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, the whole creation is groaning and we are groaning. And when we don't know what to say, the Spirit of God speaks for us and prays for us. St. Patrick found that out. Last week we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. It may not be a big day for your family. It's a big day for our family because it, it doubles as Melanie's birthday every year. And so I always remember St. Patrick's Day and we were gathered and uh, we were um, thinking about that. And I read this, this story about St. Patrick and, and his amazing story. <laughs> he wasn't so much about, about celebrating or getting drunk. He was this young man who was kidnapped by... Um, barbarians when he was 16 years old and taken into captivity and forced to herd swine that was his job and he was the son of a deacon maybe like some of you he was the child of a deacon but he had never come to know Christ until he was herding those swine and then Christ revealed himself to him and he came to the place where he gave thanks for those who had kidnapped him who had captured him eventually he went back home to England he thought I will never leave this place again but God said no I want you to be a missionary to the same people who captured you and he went back and he ministered and in Ireland and had this amazing ministry and took the gospel to that particular island and God worked through him and somebody asked him how how did you come to the place where you could give thanks for those who kidnapped you and he said I could give thanks Because it was the fervent Spirit of God praying through me. Prayer is a work of the Spirit of God in us. Maybe you've learned some formula for prayer. Maybe acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I learned pray, P-R-A-Y, praise, relationship. That is confession of sin, anything where you pray for others. And then finally, why, for yourself. And the man who taught me this, Raz Robinson, said, be careful not to yarp. You could get it backwards and pray for yourself. And then you could, then you could pray for others. And then you could pray for your relationship. And finally, praise God. But I've come to the conclusion that it's not, it's not really a formula. In fact, I think what we see here is what John Bunyan picks up in, in Pilgrim's Progress, that we need to learn all prayer, he calls it, because four times Paul uses the word all here. He says pray on all occasion. That word occasions is kairos in those special significant moments of life when God intervenes in some significant way, when we're facing a challenge or a crisis. In every situation, we need to find ourselves at prayer. So maybe this week you'll receive the best news of your life Paul says that would be a time to pray. Or maybe this week you'll receive the worst news of your life and that would be a time to pray. That every moment is a good moment to pray. When did Jesus pray? Well, he prayed in the morning, long before the sun rose. But then in the last week of his life, we see him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane all the way through the night. There are moments in our lives when we have no alternative but to pray. And the question for us is not... Is there any time today when we will pray? The question is, is there any time today when we will not be at prayer? He says pray with all kinds of prayers. He uses two different words for prayer. They're the general word, the word for petitions. But we know there are all kinds of prayers. There are moments of adoration and there are moments of thanksgiving and there are moments of confession There are moments of intercession when we're praying for other people. And there are moments when we're praying for ourselves. But 
We received an email this week about a young man who I've known since he was five years old, watched him play Tallawood basketball when he was five, and his parents emailed me and Jerome this week and said, he's had something of a spiritual awakening in his life. It reminded me of that verse in Psalm 85 I read yesterday that says, oh God, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Listen to how this young man is rejoicing in God. He said to his parents this week, sometimes when I think that Jesus Christ is living living inside me. It makes me want to dance. That's the way he feels. And Jerome wrote back, it makes me want to dance too, to know that this young man's heart is rejoicing in God. There are moments in life when we pray with a prayer of adoration. And then there are moments to be truthful with you. When I start the process in my journal, I write these, these same words every day and I follow this same pattern. But there are times when what the word of the day is confession to say to God, God, I failed you in this yesterday and I want to get this right before I praise you, before I ask you for anything. God, I've got to get this right. And so it's not so much a form as it is a force in our lives. I read it in Eugene Peterson's little book, Practicing Resurrection, where he talks about prayer and how as a 16-year-old boy, he wanted to learn more about prayer. And, and to his delight, a holy man of God, a certain Dr. Follett, came to their church and led them in a series of meetings. And they had the chance to host this man in their homes. And, and uh, he said to his mother, I want to talk to this man about prayer. She said, well, go talk to him. And he went to find the man, and the man was lying on the couch in his room. And he said, I don't want to wake him up, Mom. She said, oh, he's not sleeping. She said, he just sits there and listens to the Holy Spirit. She said, go ahead, ask him whatever you want to ask him, any question you want to ask him. So tremulously, he went in there. Eugene Peterson taps Dr. Follett on the arm, and he says, I wanted to ask you about the right way to pray. And he said, Dr. Follett didn't even open his eyes. But with a very loud voice, he said, I haven't prayed in 40 years. That was it. And Peterson was shocked by that. And he walked out of there and he was dumbfounded. And it was only years later that he realized that if that man had said to him, this is the way to pray, he would have gotten into that formula and he would have followed that form and he would have missed the power of prayer itself. I'm not saying that every word and thought and deed in our lives is prayer. I'm just saying that they could be prayer. That you and I, with every thought, with every word, with every deed, could find ourselves in communion with God. That's why he says, strive to pray. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. And here it is, that, that same word from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when he says, always keep on praying. They continued steadfastly. That's the way it's translated in Acts 2, 42. They never stopped Praying. And he doesn't say pray to all the saints. We don't pray to St. Patrick. And St. Patrick doesn't pray for us. But the Spirit of God prays in us. And we pray for each other. Remember the very beginning of this study of Ephesians. We saw the saints are not somebody in heaven. Not somebody who's been voted on by some church council. But the saints are you and me. And God has put the saints in circulation and we're supposed to pray for all the saints. And Bonhoeffer in 1928, as he was growing as a young minister, came to this conclusion. Where people are praying, that's where the church is. And where the church is, nobody is alone. 
There is a word. He lived in this country with magnificent cathedrals. In my childhood, I visited those tremendous cathedrals with their spires reaching up toward heaven, built for the glory of God, but often empty on Sunday mornings. And Bonhoeffer came to the conclusion that, that it's not a building that, that's the church. What is the church? He said, the church is wherever people are praying and communing with each other and living, as he described it, life together. And wherever we're praying for each other, praying for all the saints. And then Paul is selfish, so let me be this morning selfish as well when he says, and while you're praying for all the saints, don't forget to pray for me. Two things he asked for. Pray that I'll have courage. Pray that I'll have clarity. Pray that I will speak a word that God, when I open my mouth, will not... Remember 1 Samuel 3, let my words fall to the ground. Don't let my words fall to the ground. Give me clarity so I can make the mystery of the gospel known. The gospel shouldn't be a mystery to anybody on this earth anymore. Let me make it known clearly, but let me have courage and boldness as I speak. Because sometimes we, we begin to see the marvelous in the word of God as the mundane. And we forget the glory of it all and we lose that fire and, and we want to be like Jeremiah who said, I have a fire in my bones. When I tried not to speak a word for God, it was like a fire had been shut up in my bones and I couldn't not speak. I had to speak. Would you pray that for me this week? Would you pray that for me as I give leadership to our church, as I open God's word, as I study, that I would have courage to speak what God wants me to speak and that I would have clarity and I feel comfortable knowing that you are praying those things for me. Tony Evans tells about a a conference that he was to preach in a stadium at the University of South Carolina football stadium he went there and people were coming for this crusade and many people who didn't know Christ were coming to that crusade and the very moment when they were about to begin the service there came a tremendous dark uh, cloud and a tremendous storm was rolling in and they were preparing for lightning warnings and all kinds of things and so one of the ladies who had been on the steering committee, she was a layperson in her church, a lady named Linda said we ought to pray and so they invited the preachers who were going to speak together to pray and they prayed Tony Evans said, every one of us prayed a safe prayer. Lord, whatever you want, your will be done. Just a really safe prayer. And Linda said, we'd be okay if I pray. And they said, sure. And so Linda began to pray. And this is what she prayed. She said, oh God, it would be a shame for all these people who don't know you and who have the chance to come to know you by name today. It would be a shame for you who control the weather to let the weather interrupt this service And so they went back out. She said, (laughs) her last words were, Lord, address this storm. Address this storm. And so they went out there, and the man next to Linda said, can I share my umbrella with you? She said, I don't need an umbrella. And they watched, and Tony Evans said, I don't know how, I don't know why. But he said, I saw it raining on that side of the stadium, and I saw it raining on that side of the stadium. But not a drop fell on us. And the word of God went forth and people and somebody said, well, where, how did that happen? And he said, because Linda had the audacity to ask. I'm asking you to have the audacity to ask God to give us courage, to give us clarity, to give us conviction, to give us favor with people as we share the good news of Christ this week, to see every encounter as a divine appointment, to speak God's word. Here is Paul chained to a Roman soldier. And don't you know, every soldier that was chained to Paul got to hear the good news. Now, whom will you 
encounter this week who needs to hear a word from God. We, we have spiritual weapons of warfare, and here they are. God speaks to us, and if we'll receive it, we speak to God. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would help us to hear your word clearly. And then when we open our mouths to speak fearlessly, God, give us boldness. We pray with your disciples, Lord, who were threatened by the authorities in Acts chapter 4 and told not to speak the name of Jesus. And they said, we cannot not speak the name of Jesus. And then they rejoiced that they had been threatened and beaten. And they said, oh God, help us to speak. And, and the place was shaken by your power. We ask God that you would do that here, that you would shake us up, Lord, that Oh, as the psalmist says, oh Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.